Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, September 19th, and we're discussing the ongoing UAW strike against General Motors. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Auto Analyst John Rosevere via Skype. How's it going, John? It's going well, Nick. How are you? I am doing great. You know, it's been a while since we've had you on the show. There's been a lot of news in the auto industry since then. Uh, but the biggest news today, I, I think, is this ongoing UAW strike against General Motors. So at midnight on Monday, the UAW went on strike, sending 46,000 workers to picket lines at GM properties across the country. And this is the first nationwide strike by the UAW since 2007. So, you know, with this being a nationwide strike, how significant is that for the auto industry? It's a big deal. I mean, the way this works is the UAW does these contracts uh, that last four years. Uh, and then the contracts come up for renewal, and it, it's often a lot of tension in the Detroit area and so forth. Uh, what the UAW does is pick one company, one of the three automakers, GM, Ford, Fiat, Chrysler, uh, to try and strike a deal with. And then they use that deal as the pattern, uh, the pattern agreement, that's the term they use, uh, with the other two to try and fill things in. Um, they selected GM as, as their target for creating this pattern agreement, and GM didn't play along, basically. <laughs> uh, you know, GM came in late with, a, with uh, their first set of proposals, and the UAW said, nah, you guys aren't close. We're walking out uh, when the contract expired, uh, which I guess was Saturday night. Um, so it is a big deal. Uh, in recent years, UAW strikes have tended to be quick, uh, the one um, in 2007 was over in I think like 40 hours, something like that. It was it was you know it was less than two days. Uh, when they've done what they call bottleneck strikes, which is where they they strike at one factory that's doing critical parts for others to try and throw a wrench in the works, those t have tended to get resolved very quickly in a matter of hours for the most part. Uh, it's been a long time, like the 1970s, since there's been a strike that went on this long uh, against an automaker, a nationwide strike. So yeah, it's a big deal. Uh, they've got grievances. Yeah, it's one of those things where uh, you know you can kind of see some some valid arguments on both sides. The UAW took some concessions in 2007 when the, when the the business had to be bailed out. Uh, you know, took some pay cuts, those sorts of things, and that's and over that this this past economic cycle, GM's profits really have surged up. However, GM can point to investments they need to make in EVs and autonomous, and the fact that I think three out of the top four factories, when it comes to underutilization, are GM factories. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if either side is, you know, both sides have had legitimate arguments here. Uh, can we let's dive a little bit into some of the actual terms that the union is pushing for, and, and what are the sticking points here, John? Can you kind of outline that for us a little bit? Well, I, I mean, there are a bunch of things. Uh, one of the one of the key bones of contention is temp workers. About seven percent of GM's U.S. factory jobs are filled by temporary workers. They make lower wages than the UAW folks, fifteen bucks an hour or something like that. Uh, GM would like to use a greater percentage of temps because it increases their flexibility. I mean, they're looking at the economy maybe slipping and. Um, there are changes to product line mix that are going to get drastic uh, over the next several years as they move into electric vehicles in a greater way and so forth. Uh, the UAW says, on the other hand, wait a minute, you know, we want to reduce the percentage of temps you're using. And, and for the temps you've got, we want to create a path so they can become full-time employees. This is actually, a, a, I mean, this is, this is the cl kind, classic kind of thing that unions get upset about, right? <laughs> and, and, and they're really cranky about this. Uh, 
there are some other points too. Um, in 2015, the last contract, they did away with this highly controversial two-tier systems where new hires could never make as much as the, the established people. Um, what they did was they, they said new hires would get this graduated series of raises, and after eight years, they'd be at the top scale pay levels. Uh, GM says, that's fine. Let's go with that for another four years. The UAW says, let's make it a four-year tiered thing instead of an eight-year tiered thing so we can get these guys up to full speed faster. Um, I'm saying guys. I mean men and women. There are plenty of women here. Uh, wages, uh, GM's offer that they came in with before the strike uh, offered a 2% raise every other year year and 2% lump sum payments in in the years in between. Uh, those are smaller increases than they've had over the last four years. The UAW is like, you know, wait a minute, we want the same raises we got last time or better yet more. Uh, healthcare was a key um, thing as well. I, I mean, the workers currently pay about 4% of their healthcare costs. That is very low. Uh, GM, GM's initial proposal came in and said, we want to raise that to 15 because 15% 15 because this is a huge expense for us. Uh, but the UAW really balked at that one. So GM backed off that demand. Uh, it's worth noting that for family health care coverage, the average U.S. worker pays about 29%. And that's according to a study from late last year by the Kaiser Family Foundation. So, I mean, these are both low numbers, but but you know, the UAW wants the deal it has. They want to maintain the status quo. The other thing, of course, is closed factories. GM last fall said, you know, we're shutting down a bunch of U.S. factories. We're, we're laying off and, and cutting a whole bunch of jobs because we're transforming the company to electric vehicles. There's a lot of uncertainty. We're spending a ton of money on R&D right now, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, some of these factories have become bones of contention. One in particular, uh, there is a big facility in Lordstown, Ohio, that made the Chevrolet Cruze Compact. Uh, GM also makes a version of the Cruze at a factory in Mexico. That line remains open, but they're closing Lordstown. And of course, you know, the UAW says, you're sending jobs to Mexico here. What's going on? We want a new product for the Lordstown factory, uh, which employed several thousand people. Um, GM's response is, well, we could build a battery factory near there for our electric cars, but that's employing hundreds of people rather than thousands of people. Uh, there, there's another factory, uh, Detroit Hamtramck Assembly Plant, uh, which is one of GM's most flexible plants. They were going to shut that down. That's where they built things like the Chevrolet Volt, which has been discontinued uh, or is in the process of being discontinued. Uh, GM said, hey, we could put new uh, electric pickup trucks that we've got in the works uh, at that factory. That might work work out. Uh, GM has offered to invest over $7 billion in, in eight different U.S. factories for new products and so forth. Uh, it's unclear exactly what the UAW is, is pushing against that, but, but we know that Lordstown in particular is a big sticking point for them. It's, it's been a rallying point for, their un for the union on strike. Um, so that, that's a big deal, and that's one where President Trump has come in and said, hey, reopen Lordstown. I, I think GM would like to shut it down and sell it. Uh, in effect, it's made some small moves in that direction, but, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, those are the key issues right now. I mean, I would say if we're going to call out a couple, uh, the temp workers is a big deal, um, and the fate of these factories is a big deal. Uh, certainly. I, th I think 
as I kind of mentioned earlier, it, you know, if you're looking backward from here, the, the union's arguments look look really very strong. The company has had had some some strong profits over the past several years, but GM's management in this situation is looking forward into kind of a slowing economic cycle. Those investments they have to make into the future, as well as these factories that you know are underutilized and have significant carrying costs that, uh, that you know they'll need to maintain if they don't find something to build there. Um, yeah, I mean, the UAW's position is we took a huge hit in 2011 to help save the company. We, we got an okay deal in 2015, but we've still got some bones of contention. We want to, and and meanwhile, you're cutting jobs here in the United States. Uh, you know, we've got some issues. We want, you know, a little bigger piece of the pie here and some assurances around these U.S. factories. And meanwhile, Mary Barra and company, GM, uh, is saying, look, we're in the process of transforming the company here. <laughs> you know, we've got to move to an electric self-driving future. That's a wrenching change for the whole company, and everybody's taking hits here. Right. And as you paint this picture with both sides, you know, having real, you know, stakes to, to how, how this, uh, this, this plays out, you know, do we have any indication of how long this dispute might play out before the sides can kind of, kind of reach an agreement no. <laughs> I, like I've said, these things have tended to be worked out in a day or two uh, in recent years. The fact that it's gone on this long and it suggests that, that there are some really intractable issues. Uh, we don't get much information from these talks. They're secret, although the UAW folks do sometimes give readouts. Uh, uh, by tradition, the automakers never say anything about it. They let the UAW do the talking. Uh, the UAW uh, officials said yesterday, after after yesterday's round, that they weren't close. So that's that's the only indicator we have, really. Uh, we know that uh, they've also been working with Ford and FCA, waiting for the pattern agreement from GM. Uh, they said they've got over half of their um, new contract basically agreed upon, tentative agreements, they call it, before the uh, the workers vote, uh, with Ford, and that they're making progress with FCA. But they're all waiting uh, to get the pattern agreement, which means they got to cut the deal with GM before they can move forward with the other two. But in the meantime, I mean, there's no real question of striking Ford or FCA at this moment that I have heard. They are focused on GM and on, on pushing this pretty hard. Right. And so, so as these sides kind of dig in their trenches, what is kind of... What position are the, these union workers put in? What what kind of salary are they receiving? What are their benefits? And how, how long do you think uh, they can they can you know hold out? I, I've noted that the GM has said they're going to pay coverage until the end of September, but then they'll go on to Cobra, supported by the UAW. Well, the UAW is a strike fund. I mean, they they have money for this, uh, and they've been beefing it up over the last couple of years. Uh, the workers get. Um, Strike pay, which is 250 bucks a week, which doesn't sound much. The basic idea is you can buy groceries and so forth. Uh, you know, it, it's just enough to keep keep the lights on. Uh, as well as, yeah, they're going to pick up the the Cobra costs. Uh, I, I'm not sure when that happens exactly. It may be the end of the month. It may GM may, may have already shut them off. I'm not sure, but but that's that's taken care of for the time being. But at the same time, I mean, it's a hardship to be on strike. You know, if if you're bringing in a couple thousand dollars a week, and or more, and and you know, you're down to two fifty. Well. You know that'll that'll put food on the table, but much not much else. And at some point, other bills become due, and so on and so forth. And you know, a strike is something that a household that's in reasonably decent financial shape can probably you know do fine for a week or two. If it goes on beyond that, it starts to get tough for just about everybody. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side, I mean, I mean, GMs you know probably losing something like forty-five to fifty million dollars a day in terms of production. So I mean, there's some pressure there too. 
Yeah, so, so let's talk about GM a little bit there. They have built up some inventories, maybe in preparation for, for something like, like this happening. Uh, you know, when we look at GM from an investment point of view, what should investors be mindful of, both in the short term and the long term, you know, if this strike does continue on for months or, or weeks? Well, uh, you know, in the shorter term, you know, this is what I said the other day. It's um, you know, GM has plenty of inventory at their dealers, or did as of as of you know a couple of weeks ago, um, and and can just kind of ride this out. And, and GM books revenue when they ship vehicles from the factory, or when the fa- or when the vehicles arrive at dealers. Uh, so their revenue will take a dip for the third quarter uh, with every day this goes on, to the tune of probably something in the neighborhood of forty to fifty million, as I said. Um, well, maybe more than that, but. You know, if if the strike's over tomorrow, they can make all that up by the end of the year. It's no big deal. Uh, And the dealers will have ample inventory. If it goes on, you know, maybe past this weekend, at that point, um, suppliers start to furlough workers. Uh, GM's plants in Canada and Mexico that depend on parts from the United States start to shut down and furlough their workers uh, for lack of parts. And, And it becomes more systemic and you know, then you start to see uh, effects in places like Southeast Michigan, where where communities around these workers start to, you know, the coffee shop across the street from the factory has to <laughs> has to cut down because nobody's there. You know, these kinds of things times times many many, of course, uh, it starts to become quite big, and that's and and as that happens, the pressure to cut a deal and compromise on both sides will will get to be quite immense. Yeah, I think it's it's. Listeners shouldn't underestimate just the size and scope of the supplier network in the automotive industry, and and how many trickle down effects there are outside of just uh, you know core GM and, and those sorts of things. Uh, <laughs> but to, just to your point for GM shareholders, and by the way, I am a GM shareholder. Uh, you know, if they resolve this tomorrow, who cares? You know, it's all made up by the end of the year. As long as the workers are reasonably happy uh, and GM doesn't have to give away the farm, uh, you know, it's fine. Um, and, and I say who cares from from the perspective of GM's bottom line, not from the perspectives of the human cost here. Uh, it, if it goes on for another, I, I would say even into next week, it starts to get complicated. Um, and, it, and it starts to get hard to see uh you know what the costs will be once it's all over. I mean, I mean, of course, GM can ride this out uh, for quite a while, uh, but you know, as we get past seven days, eight days, nine days, it starts to get a lot uglier as these accelerating sort of network effects start to unfold. Yeah, this is a story we're going to continue to follow. Obviously, a lot of question marks here. When you look at these negotiations, almost like predicting what's going to happen in Congress or something like that. You know, something's probably going to get done sooner or later, but we really have have no idea until we see that that final deal and everyone uh, comes to the table. Obviously, we're going to continue following that. Uh, I wanted to circle back on you. We've got we've got a couple minutes here before for the end of the show on a couple stories that we, we've talked about in the past. Uh, you know, a couple months back, John, we we talked about. Uh, potential merger offers between Fiat Chrysler and Renault. Any status update on those uh, those negotiations? The status update is that Renault's CEO said, uh, I think it was last week, that there's nothing going on. The talks are dead for the moment. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, that is a discussion. We, it, it, the gist of his remarks were that is a discussion we had a few months ago. There's no discussion happening right now. 
And that's that's another auto story, as you mentioned, that has, has politics involved and governments and all those sorts of things. Yep. Just explains how complicated this industry is. The other the other major story over here the past several weeks have been EV rollouts by major European automakers. We had the Frankfurt Auto Show, which showed off new EVs from Volkswagen, Mercedes, and Honda. And then the big news was, was Porsche had its worldwide reveal for the Taycan EV sports car. Uh, any quick thoughts on these big EV reveals? Well, I, I mean. Acutely, this is about tightening uh, emissions regulations, particularly in Europe, uh, also in China. Uh, more broadly, I mean, this is the beginning of a seismic shift, especially for the Volkswagen Group, which includes Porsche, uh, but but also Mercedes, which is making noises about maybe we're not going to spend much more money developing internal combustion engines anymore. And, <laughs> you know, Volkswagen uh, wants to be selling 3 million EVs a year by 2025 or something like that. I mean, they've got they, they've made a huge investment. They've committed more money over the next several years. Uh, they're going in all the way on this. And the vehicle they showed, uh, which they call the ID3, uh, the, it's, to understand how VW thinks about it, the three means it's sort of the third phase of Volkswagen's history, with the first having been the Beetle and the second having been the Golf, the car Americans knew as the Rabbit back in the 1970s. So it's like, you know, we started out with the Beetle and then there were many Beetle derivatives. Then we did the Golf and there were many Golf derivatives and other cars and so on and so forth. Now the ID3. So I, for them, this is, this, is, this is a landmark. This is a big deal. Uh, the ID3 is a... a a pleasant looking hatchback with impressive specs. Uh, there are no plans right now to launch it in the United States. We are going to get a crossover built on the same architecture instead in about a year. Uh, and then that cool surfer electric microbus comes a couple years after that. Yeah, so obviously very exciting. As we mentioned, kind of these UAW negotiations are hitting at a time where the auto industry is pivoting. As you mentioned, that third generation of Volkswagen is an example of that as we move to EVs. A lot of moving parts in this industry, a lot of stuff to talk about. And we'll have you on uh, soon again, I'm sure, John, to talk about it. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Nick. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For John Rosevere, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and fool on.